Welcome back to Meet Me in the Middle. Thank you so much for being here. I really hope you guys are enjoying listening as much as I enjoy making these episodes. I'm learning more along with you. Um, I want you to just think about what we've covered now. We've covered like so much of the foundation and now we're really going to get into the nitty-gritty of politics and the history. But I first want to say uh, I really appreciate those who keep listening and keep following. I really appreciate you. And please reach out to me if you visit my website. You can click on any of my social media channels. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Reddit. It's all under findunityinthemiddle.com. Or you can just go straight to my web page and send me a direct message on my contact page. The website is findunityinthemiddle.com. I post a lot of links and I just, uh, you can follow along to check some of the details. Obviously, I don't cover everything uh, when we're covering these subjects because they're only 30 minutes. But we touch on some of the key points that drive us through the timelines of history And all of the information is on the website under the episode section. So, okay, this episode is going to take us through a journey of the past to present, the history of political parties really started at the very beginning. So let's get into it. The history of politics really started at the ratification of the Constitution, And at the Constitutional Convention, which was the convention for drafting the Constitution, um, Benjamin Franklin, on June 2nd, 1787, took the floor and he warned, and I quote him now, There are two passions which have a powerful influence on the affairs of men. These are ambition and avarice. The love of power and love of money. Place before the eyes of such men a post of honor that shall be at the same time a place of profit, and they will move heaven and earth to obtain it. The vast number of such places renders the British government so tempestuous of all those factions which are perpetually dividing the nation and distracting its councils. That was Benjamin Franklin. At the convention drafting the Constitution. At the same convention, uh, a couple days later, on June 6, 1787, James Madison weighed in on that as well. And I quote him. If unregulated, all civilized societies would be divided into different sects, factions, and interests of rich and poor, debtors and creditors. The inhabitants of this district or that district, the followers of this political leader or that political leader, the disciples of this religious sect or that religious sect, in all cases where a majority are united by a common interest or passion, The rights of the minority are in danger. 
This was clear in all of our founding documents that the framers excluded politics and religion for a reason, for the greater good of the whole. Politics is one of the largest dividing factors along with religion. However, religion is now driving a lot of political agendas, which we will get into in the history of religion in America, which is our next episode. This episode, however, will discuss the development of the political parties and their ideologies and how the ideologies changed and broke parties apart to reform over time. So let's start with the ratification of the Constitution. After having signed in uh, September 28, 1787, after much debate, as I just highlighted a few discussions about political factions, and the ratification process kicked off and it wasn't ratified until June 21st, 1788 to then go into law on March 4th, 1789. So soon after the convention, regardless, um, the first political parties emerged. There was the Federalist and Anti-Federalist. The Federalists were pushing for the signing of the Constitution for an overarching government structure. The Anti-Federalists were concerned the rights of men were not clearly protected, which again, we spoke about that in the previous episode um, as well. So this was really during the ratification of the Constitution, meaning that they needed nine out of the 13 colonies or states to agree to this constitution for it to go to, to be, you know, actually law. So when these debates happened between the Federalist and Anti-Federalist, they led to the publishing of the arguments in the press. The Federalist were then known as the Federalist Papers and were published in October 1787 in newspapers and then in book form of the first 77 essays. The authors of the Federalist Papers were Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, John Jay, and pseudonym of Publis. The Federalist Papers had 85 essays, and the Anti-Federalist Papers, which were basically ensuring that they were concerned, and really the arguments were the, of the papers, were concerns of the federal government not taking care of the liberties of the individual citizens. So it did lead to the Bill of Rights, these arguments, and they were published, but it was the first time that really started to see two groups form almost right away from the signing of the Constitution. In the Federalist Papers, Essays 9 and 10 were discussed um, Alexander Hamilton in Essay 9 sa starts his essay with a justification, and I quote him, A firm union will be of the utmost moment to the peace and liberty of the states, a barrier against domestic faction and insurrection. J. Madison in Essay 10 starts his essay by pointing out, and I quote, I, this is a quote, among the numerous advantages 
promised by a well-constructed union, none deserves more accuracy developed than its tendency to break and control the violence of faction. So even though there was the argument for the union, they were still always concerned in the background of politics and factions. And the reason why I point all of that out is really some of the founders and framers knew the dangers of factions, which is really in turn political parties. Benjamin Franklin, James Madison, and Alexander Hamilton spoke clearly of these dangers. George Washington, although often referred to as a Federalist, was uh, had no party affiliation whatsoever and never did adopt an affiliation with a party over the eight years as our first president. His farewell address warned us, and I'm going to quote, it's in the, these are a couple of quotes from his farewell address, which again, you can find a link uh, or look it up. Uh, it's a pretty famous address. It says, uh, let me take a more comprehensive view and warn you in the most solemn manner against baneful effects of the spirit of party. Another quote from George Washington was, the alienate domination of the one faction over another, sharing by the spirit of revenge, natural to party dissension, is itself a frightful despotism. So, again, many <laughs> warnings of political parties. So, very fascinating, and you can absolutely look at uh, those links on the website. So, really, political parties were developed alongside the founding, even regardless of all the dangers and the warnings. And it's natural for people to want to belong and commune and feel part of something, and political, party, political parties provide that for people. So, but there is this danger that everyone knew and was warning about, which is why there's nothing about political parties in any of our founding documents at all. They avoided that completely. They saw all of the different political structures and all of the different government structures throughout the lands as they were immigrants of Europe. And they studied these things in order to really develop something different. And America did develop a very different system, completely different to anything that had existed at that moment in the day. And they really did want to ensure that security for the personal liberties. And the Anti-Federalists, even though being part of a original party, fought really hard to ensure that the Bill of Rights was adopted. So, if we look today at the political divide, it's more divisive now than it ever has been. And that's why I'm really taking a stand and I vow to take two steps towards the middle as the dividing and labeling 
us in these ways and in these structures are a danger. And that division is what we're here talking about. So let's get into kind of the history of it. So political sciences, scientists and historians really divided America's two-party system um, into seven-party eras or systems. So they changed over time. And those different times I'm going to go through now, and you can find timelines and the history of some of these parties and how they've morphed, and we're going to go into that after I sort of lay them out. So the first period was 1796 to 1828. So prior to that, George Washington, he was our first president and no party affiliation. So the party system started to actually present itself at the end of the first term, and George Washington was concerned about it. And I think uh, the conversations uh, with the president and his cabinet members particularly you know, was the strong stance of these two party sides to back, uh, you know, it's France or Great Britain. So it was pretty intense. And so George Washington decided to run for a second term. He actually was looking forward to retirement after the first term, but realized that this was still very fragile in a brand new nation. And he stayed on. He was voted unanimously uh, twice. He received all the electoral votes. So, um, looking at it from 1796 to 1828, you had really two dominant parties, which was the Federalist Party and the Democratic Republican. So, the Democratic Republican uh, is what we call now Democrat, and the Federalist is what we call now Republican. And there were other parties, the Clay Democrats and the Southern Nullifiers, um, that also merged into one of those two parties. And then in 1828 to 1854, you had the Jacksonians, which were now the Democrats, and the National Republican, which were Republican. Then you had the third era, era which is 1854 to 18. 50, uh, 18, sorry, 1854 to 1893, which really was the Democrat now calling it the Democrat and then the Whig Party, which is now the merged into the Republican Party. However, there was a split, um, too. So these parties, these smaller parties, uh, would split and descent, uh, you know, into these different large party buckets when it came to national um, elections, kind of like what happens today. So, and there, and the other parties at that time were the Free Soil Party, the Constitution Party, the Whigs, the Know Nothings. Um, and again, these are all parties over time. But always in these different structures, there were only two dominant, and it was always some form of de the Democrat and Republican that we have today. So 1896 to 1932, the Democrat and the Republican, those were the names. They had now remained those names till now. 
And the Republican Party was known as the Grand Old Party. And the other parties that, to, that were in that time were the Bull Moose Party and the Progressive Party. So the fifth era is really 1932 to 1976, which were the Democrat and Republican again. But other parties emerged, the Dixiecrat, which was really kind of a white right movement, uh, Bull Moose Party, Progressive Party, and Independent Party. These were all still prevalent, but of course, minor parties. In 1976 to 2016, uh, the Democrat and Republican and other parties, there are many. So the Reform Party, the Socialist Party, the um, Farm Labor Party, and this was early on, uh, Populist Party, Libertarian Party, the Natural Law Party, the Peace and Freedom Party, the Green Party. So these are all the Independent Party. These are all different parties that have emerged throughout the, the time. And now we're in the kind of a different era. So they're really classifying there was a change in 2016 where we really started to create almost like four parties is what we're looking at now, but they're all overarching between the two. But we'll get into that. So really the Democrat Republican to the Democrat, so from the beginning to now, they were much more of the less elite like against the elitist and working man's party, the poor. However, they stood for individual rights and state sovereignty and opposed banks and high tariffs in the early days. Before the Civil War, they totally supported and or tolerated slavery. This really shifted in ideological uh an ideological shift to liberalism during the 1930s when the New Deal era came about. The party took up more liberal social causes to end imperialistic expansion. They supported labor unions, regulations on big corporations, health care, strong social support for um, equalities of all communities, of all people, and that's really the way that it changed. But under the old structure, they were called Democrat Republicans and moved to Democrats. And through the years, their ideologies changed. Same thing goes for the uh, Federalists to the Republican. They were more elite society, more aristocrats. Uh, they were a party of the wealthy landowners, the plantation owners, However, they stood for a strength of federal government systems, support the, supported the bank system and high tariffs. They did not openly oppose slavery at the beginning, but they opposed the spread of slavery in southern states and in the territories. And they really became the party that fought with the, uh, the or joined the abolitionist cause. So they were known... Um, as the party that they all they lost a lot of support during the New Deal era, and when Theodore Roosevelt formed the Bull Moose Party, that was progressive, it really kind of split up the Republican Party, 
and then they regained over time. 35 to 40% are registered as independents today. So it's really interesting when you look at the balance of these parties, there was never a 35 to 40% of any party that was not the Republican and Democrat party throughout time. But as you can see, they've changed. So um, when Theodore Roosevelt was really for social reforms and after 1912, the Republican Party's ideological shift to, way, to much more conservatism, which was all about the Christian values, the nu nuclear family, you know, mother, father, child, um, American exceptionalism, uh, pro-business and capitalism, reduced regulations, smaller government. The fight really pushed the Republicans to more an evangelical Christian values with the protections of uh, being passed of Roe versus Wade. That really changed the era. And that is kind of what I mean by we're in the seventh period. It really, there has been a real shift in the Republican Party for conservatism to a point of real alignment with the evangelicals. So the two-party system under different names and ideologies have existed. So Democrats were more, you know, supportive of slavery, and now they're much more on the civil rights and the social issues strength. And the Republican Party was very much about creating the big overarching government. And now they are very much about lack of, you know, uh, low regulations and really um, less government. So it's changed a lot and it's flipped and it's been confusing. But these are the two parties and kind of their history of the ideologies. And they've existed really from the beginning. And they may have been the different two parties. So, but it's always been predominantly a two-party system. The third party rise in popularity is very present today. As I mentioned, 35 to 40% of people uh, register as independents now. And... They're considered swing voters. So have, so that's always been present. And as discussed, they generally vote, though, one way or another in national elections. So they either go Democrat or Republican when it comes to a national level. But at the local level, at the state level, they're more prominent as their own parties, independent, uh, libertarians, and so on. The bo both of the dominant parties, though, have changed that ideology. And there's six or seven times in history where these shifted and they broke apart, recreated themselves. New parties emerged and joined uh, one way or another. So with the introduction and of social media and the media, this division then is driven in deeper and deeper into these divides. So we've never seen this kind of political division, which when I said before that we're in that seventh era, but these parties feel like four because the Democrats have split into like centrist Democrats 
and really progressive. And the Republicans are either ultra conservative or centrist Republicans. And what we're trying to find is those centrist Republicans to kind of bring back under these two parties somehow some kind of level of balance because the extremes that have broken off of both of these parties are terrifying to the other parties' constituents or voters or people. So the political party injection also into our government's interworkings is what gave the level the labels sorry of left and right so during the presidency of john adams in 1796 is really the first time we started to see some politics at the point of when they were running for office but really in 1800 when jefferson took office the members in congress began to divide themselves with like-minded members the republicans sat on the right side of the chamber while the democrats on the left hence the name left and right it's kind of a fun fact that i did not know now that the country has really totally embraced a two-party system which has divided further and further um, throughout time. The first point of when a voter goes to register, and this depends on your state, there's actually questions on that registration form retaining, pertaining to party affiliation. So you're 18, you're going to register to vote, um, exercise your right as a citizen, and you're immediately categorized in certain states. So there are only 18 states that have no party affiliation at the voter registration. Voting is a right that should never have rules or allegiances to parties, in my opinion. I believe ending party questions on any voter registration should really be adopted. These voter registration lists are sold to parties to create marketing campaigns and leads to practices of gerrymandering. So if when they're drawing the congressional maps, they don't have access to voter registration party affiliation, then there's no way for them to know necessarily where these lines are so they can't do the gerrymandering on the congressional district mapping. Voter registration, congressional district mapping should never be influenced by party politics. These are important parts of our government that affect our representation as people. This situation with party politics has led to an increasing anger and resentment of opposing parties. And we can really see that today. It's filtered down, though, to the people. And never like we've ever seen it, almost every group feels marginalized somehow. Because of the divisiveness of the politics so it's no longer contained in the political ideologies, but now as individual ideologies of division. 
for party. I believe the political system has corrupted the individual's ability for peace in many ways. The founders knew this to be a possibility and they warned us not to adopt these domains. Abraham Lincoln also, I'm going to quote him, America will never be destroyed from the outside. If we falter and lose our freedoms, it will be because we destroyed ourselves. I think we just need to stop our behaviors of labeling opposing views as the enemy. Individuals hold rights under law from division of equality from race, sex, religion. These are hard-fought freedoms. Political parties are in practice only. No laws exist that protects parties. Only some laws in the states swear to party allegiance in the electoral process and also some states disenfranchise voters, especially independents, by forcing party ballots. This kind of thing is what we need to really get together on. Nobody needs to be divided by party at the voter registration level or at voting. The more that we come together against the dividing forces of political pressures, the more we can get back to talking, understanding, compromise. That's the middle that I want to meet in. Finding unity in the middle is we the people for the people. That is our middle ground, not we the party for the party. That was never the intention. We stand in one great nation under one flag. Our voices and choices drive the American government and system. By forced allegiance to a party, we by nature give away rights for individuals. Our allegiance is to our country, to our people, to our liberty and our freedoms, to our constitution. It's not for some or part, it's for all now. And they've all been fought really hard to be for all now. We have two parties, although this new era feels like four. We have one nation in danger of splitting into two. We hold the power and we are America's hope. We are America's dream. And together we can claim our individualism by the rejection of the overreach of our political system. And how do we do that? Media reform. Entertainment slash opinion and news. Standards. Just a standard. Regulation. Stop voter registration questions about party period across every state. No one should be labeled at the point of registering uh, the registration and you should be able to vote for whoever you want to vote for, whoever is qualified and on the ballot. Stop gerrymandering of our congr congregational uh, districts. 
These ensure the balance of representation at the local level. Districts should always be neighbors, not shaped like a boot, with no community cohesion. I think we can agree that this will and that these practices should be abolished. There's no need for these practices. Neither one of our political or personal interests are being solved by these practices. They're actually harming us all together. It's not any one party that is doing it. It really is both. So this will be a topic, though, for guests. I really want to talk about this um, because the political... We have to fight back against what the things that divide us, right? Removing these practices... And um, I question, are these two problems that bind us or divide us? I believe they bind us. The middle ground is where we can agree on issues that harm us individually and collectively. My search and quest to find the middle is strong. Fighting my own biases is not easy either, but I am committed to doing so. The political party system is the largest dividing force in America, and it's mostly fear-based messaging. I hope that we can all agree that weakening the political chokehold is something that we need to reform together. We need to feel free of allegiance to party. The next episode, we're going to talk about history of religion. Anything from the settlers' escape from religious persecution, the Salem witch trials, and as well as the division of church and state, regardless of the fact we have in God we trust in the Congress, we have it on our money, and we have it in our pledge. So we're going to talk about the history of religion in America and how religion is used in politics today. Then really deep dive into the elections and voting series, and that's going to be told over three parts, which is election laws and electors. We're going to go through that again, the Electoral College and the maps and the state election rules and the uh, federal election rules, campaign finance laws, rules and practices, conventions by party and lobbying. And then we're going to talk about voter laws, registration practices, state voter, voter laws and deadlines. And that's going to be the next four episodes. So that's kind of laying that out. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. Um, I do feel quite passionate about this, this episode. And I think I totally agree with the founders and their foresight into the dangers of falling victim to this allegiance to party over country. So I do believe that we're onto something there. And I think that's something that we could, we're going to explore, you know, further. Thank you so much for listening. And please see all the links to the information discussed in this episode under episode resources. Um, and it'll show you by episode or series. And then you can just go to findunityinthemiddle.com. And I've also posted on my website an abstract 
on political parties and democracy. And it's really interesting if you're interested. I posted it there. Um, I'd love to hear from you. And until next time, I'll meet you in the middle.